0: This is my family, mental illness and me. My name is Pamela Jenkins and I'm a researcher at the Mental Health Foundation. My mum, Irene, lived with a mental illness. There were voices only she could hear and she could quickly switch from feeling very high to very low. No one ever talked about it with me when I was young, even though I knew my mum was often unwell. When I was in my 20s, that's when a psychiatrist told me that my mum had schizoaffective disorder. Sadly, I lost her quite recently to COVID-19. But even though she's gone, her mental health will always be a huge part of my life. In each of these podcasts, I'll speak to someone else whose parent has or had a mental illness. In the UK, there are at least 3 million children of parents with mental illness. If you're one, it's really important that you know you're not alone. Family Mental Illness and Me is a podcast series from the charity Our Time with support from the Mental Health Foundation. Our Time champions and supports children of parents with mental illness and their families. We've put links to more information in the show notes. This time I'm sharing stories with a household name who kept so many of us going both physically and mentally through the coronavirus lockdown.
1: Hi everyone, I'm Joe Wicks, also known as The Body Coach. I'm a trainer from the UK and someone who's really passionate about health, fitness and mental health.
0: Hi Joe, Joe Wicks. Thank you so much for being here to talk to me today. I am here to hear all about your experience being a child of parent with mental illness. So I'm just going to open the floor up to you really and just tell me about your folks. Well,
1: it's lovely to be a guest on your podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me on. And I'm really passionate about, you know, sharing my story and, hopefully helping other people out there that may be going through difficult times. And I think mm-hmm. as an adult now, I really understand my child and my parents a lot more. But at the time, you know, I didn't really know they had mental health issues. I just thought that my mum loved cleaning. She'd clean the house three or four times a day. It's really obsessive. She had a lot of eating disorders. She struggled with her her body weight and she was always really tiny. And I remember that and I didn't really think much of it. I didn't really understand. And <clears throat> conversely with my father, he um you know, he he self-medicated with drugs. He was a heroin addict from a very young age. So I've had that experience of being around, you know, chaos and kind of destructive behaviors, but didn't know at the time that my parents really had mental health issues. But I've been on a bit of a journey the last few months, been filming this documentary where yeah. I'm going back into my past to speak to my parents and, you know, friends of mine that were at school to find out what was I like as a kid? How did that chaos at home and that kind of you know, manic household, how did that affect me as a, as a child and as a teenager? And it was quite emotional. I found it like, it was like therapy for me because a lot of things I didn't remember, I chose not to remember. So yeah, I found it quite emotional. But my parents, one thing I'll say about my parents is that they always <clears throat> they always loved us. They always gave us so much love and support. And even though they would argue and it was a bit, a bit of madness, my mum and dad would say, look, we're sorry we arguing, but we still, we really love you. And I think that's the one thing that kept me on the straight and narrow and kept me in a positive position because I didn't go down that route of having eating disorders or drug addiction. So yeah, I think that's what I'm realizing. The more I see and meet people, as long as there's one person around you that's supporting you or giving you love and letting you feel safe, I think as a child, you can get through anything.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely true. Absolutely true. And it's interesting you say that you don't remember and that they didn't speak to you about it. So they, you were never told anything at all.
1: Well, it's one of those things, you know, I knew my dad wasn't well and I knew my dad would, because he, he would be in and out of rehab. And I, I didn't really understand from as a young child what was going on. But when I got to sort of like the teenage years, I started to realize, mm. oh, my dad's got a drug addiction and he's going off to rehab and, you know, he's relapsed. And it was, it was so upsetting because it was so, um, things would be great. Like things would be really good and they'd be getting on really well. And I think, oh, my dad's back now. And then suddenly like they'd start to argue and I realized, you know, he was... relapsing and using again and his whole attitude and energy would change like because it's a heron's a really sedative kind of drug so he would just be asleep all the time I couldn't really interact with him like I wanted to and that was upsetting so I went through phases of being like upset and then angry you know as a teenager I really really found difficult to understand and you know with my mum we argued a lot because she she wanted to clean the house every day all the time wanted me to hoover my bedroom three times a day and I used to think I thought it was just normal. I just thought this is what mums are like, but mm. it was a massive friction point between me and her because obviously as a kid, I just want to go out and play or like make mess and have friends come around and certain yeah. boundaries. My house was like an Ikea showroom, like it was immaculate, you know? And I now understand why my mum was like that because she dealt with a lot of childhood trauma and that was her way of, you know, that was her way of dealing with her feelings and her emotions. Um, yeah. And I suppose I wish I knew more back then because if I did know... I would have treated my mom differently. I would have been more, I would have had more understanding. I would have had more empathy for her. But I think when you're, when you are a child, your parents will do anything they can to protect you from it by not admitting they've got an issue or not really acknowledging and not wanting to upset you and make you think about things that are are grown up feelings, right? You know, like big feelings that you they think, oh, he's not going to understand. But, you know, things would happen like, you know, our house would get raided or whatever, or like, you know, um, there'd be like holes in the door. Would I'd have, I'd have a big argument and I have to like get up in the morning and like go to school and just be like a normal school kid and not say anything. Yeah. So it was weird and I think even back then I think if only we had a bit more communication and we understood each and we talked more, I think it would have put me in much better stead and I wouldn't have acted up so much at school.
0: Did you talk to anybody at school about it at all? Your friends or teachers?
1: Well looking back I only actually had one friend that I remember speaking to about it because he had a similar childhood he's he was raised you know he a single parent mum, and like his dad had also had drug addiction and he actually came on my show I interviewed him and it was a really emotional conversation because just like I didn't he didn't know really what was going on with my life he was telling me stuff that I just didn't know I thought he was a happy little kid but he was getting really you know really violent abusive parent at home that was like you know really upsetting him and frightening him and stuff so I think we told each other certain things but not everything like he knew my dad had drug addiction and I knew his dad was a drug addict and stuff. So we kind of had something in common, but we didn't really go into much detail about it. It was just like we just had this mutual understanding that we knew that there's St. something going on at home that was a bit upsetting. And it wasn't like everyone around me knew. Yeah. But yeah, we, we're really good friends even now. So I think we've always been bonded by that sort of understanding, that little moment that we connected and sort of told each other. We were on a ski trip, actually. I was like, oh, my dad's not around at the moment. He's gone to rehab and then he sort of opened up. So it was nice to have one friend that I could talk to about it
0: yeah and there are so many children as you know having worked with our time yourself that ha- are in this situation and what would be nice is if there's movement forward with this more public engagement and kids feel more comfortable talking to each other because that shared connection will exist all over the place you know it's such an important thing to do to talk to talk about it and what about with your family the rest of your family i understand you have siblings is that right
1: yeah, I've got a little brother, uh, George, who's 10 years younger than me. And I have an older brother who's sort of a year and a half older than me. So my mum had my brother when she was 17 and she had me when she was 19. So She was so, so young and, you know, she left school at 15. She got kicked out of home and, you know, she was living in a squat. Like, so she, she had a bit of a rough start, really. So when she was raising her, she was just learning on the job. She didn't know what was what was right and wrong. She just done the best she could. And I, I always think, that. I always look back and I don't really have much resentment around my child because I think my mum loved me my dad loved me they just had their own little demons that were going on but they still kept us safe they still got us to school kept us clean that you know we're clean and fed and we we weren't kind of neglected in that sense because you might you might think that's what would happen with, with a drug addict I think if both of my parents were heroin addicts things would have been different but my mum wasn't wasn't into drugs and therefore I think she kept the structure and the routine and the boundaries that we we had in our lives but we didn't really talk about I think now we've got much more communication. I understand now my mum and dad and their past. And we've had dialogue where, you know, I say, you know, if you're struggling, let's talk. Let's not, don't shut off and, you know, go self-medicate with drink and alcohol and drugs because it's just going to take you down a darker route. But I love the work of our time. What I loved about it was I went to one of the kids' time sessions and I saw how the children are brought into the conversation, you know, like having young children, like really young children speaking about, you know, depression and anxiety and bipolar and not the sort of change in mood and the cloud above our head and things like this kind of conversation is really important because the child doesn't feel like they're responsible or it's their fault and they can then sort of they almost act out certain situations and it's a really it's like it's like therapy sessions but the parents that go into one room the kids go in a separate room and then they come together at the end and do like a little kind of open topic a conversation I found it really uplifting I thought the parents that were there were were really strong, brave in parents who have come forward and said, "I need help. I've got, I've got, I'm struggling." And yeah. I think a lot of parents keep talking about that word stigma around, like, "I'm, I'm frightened to tell someone I've got mental health issues because I love my little children. I don't want them taken away from me." And I, I, I was thinking about what, what an amazing act of courage and strength it is to actually come forward and say, "I'm really struggling. I need some help." And yeah. I left that place feeling really uplifted. I was sad though because I thought this is one charity that's doing it in the whole of the UK like there needs to be more of this and it was only touching a certain amount of families but that kind of that care like should be everyone should have access to that and everyone should be should be because there's millions of families with parental mental health isn't there and I thought this kind of work is so powerful and so important like it really should be in every single borough in the country.
0: Absolutely (laughs) service provision and recognition and policy mental health policies I completely agree with you 100%. I'm trying to push forward an agenda of more work in this area within my work as well, because it is so, so important. You mentioned stigma a minute ago. Did you ever feel any stigma, do you think, when you were younger?
1: I remember thinking like, I just can't talk about this, like, because this is, you know, this is drugs, this is wrong. Like I can't go into school and like tell my teacher I can't because it would it would get them in trouble, you know, or mm everyone would be ashamed of me or they wouldn't want to talk to me like if they really knew what my life was like at home because you know I was a I was a happy like popular kid at school but what was going on at home like it was quite traumatic you know it was um destructive it was like doors getting slammed and you know it was just like chaos and wasn't safe wasn't a safe environment as a young kid so I had to come into school and just act like nothing was wrong and I think that was because I was worried and concerned that my parents would get in trouble, or that you know I'd be taken away from my mum and dad. So, yeah, you do you just hide it and you just sort of put on a brave face. And I think we're resi- Children are very resilient. They can tolerate a lot more than you think. And so, it was just like my life at the time. But looking back, if, like when I look at my little baby now, like Indy and Marley, to think mm-hmm. if they were in that situation, like I'm, I'd be so upset and so sad for them. But when I was in it, I was just a boy just trying to get through school and deal with all the other emotions of growing up and being a teenager. But my teenage years were the hardest because I remember I was just fed up with it. Yeah. I was fed up with the, the relapse in the lion. Because with, with drug addiction, it's, it's such a sneaky, like, they just don't admit like they're ever doing it until they get caught in the act. You know what I mean? Literally, they've got to be holding paraphernalia before they go, oh, I've had a relapse. Like, so I remember feeling like my dad was, wasn't was being honest and was really distrustful. And I, I found that really difficult because I just wanted that person to like be open with me and be honest. Mm-hmm. So I've learned as my as time gone gone on that rather than be angry at my dad and push him away and say I hate you you know you're a drug addict I can't be around you what I've realised is and I heard this wonderful quote that the the antidote to addiction is connection so I ring him I tell him I love him I'm saying how are you doing like, I pull him towards me because that's what he wants and needs he doesn't need me to say you're just a junkie I can't speak to you anymore like so yeah. but that took me a long time because when you're young you don't have those emotional you can't have that emotional maturity. And I I just couldn't deal with my feelings. So I think for me, looking back, exercise was like a therapy for me. I was always exercising. (laughs) I was running to school. I was doing different sports. I was always pushing my body. I joined the gym at 16. Like every day was down the gym because I felt like when I did exercise and moved my body, I let out the stress and anxiety and this fear that I had. And I definitely wasn't a child that experienced depression but I was definitely anxious and definitely like what was I going home to after school so for me to go to the gym for a couple of hours it prepared me to go home and be a little bit more relaxed and calmer about things.
0: That's interesting I was going to ask you do you feel it had any impact on your mental health as a child do you think without the the exercise it would have done?
1: I've really unraveled this and I've, I've, I've looked into it now and I realized that I wasn't exercising to change the way I looked like I I wasn't doing it. I mean, I was skinny and I didn't like my body as a teenager, but it was really about my mental health. It was all about my mind. It was about wanting to feel safe and wanting to feel strong and wanting to know that, you know, however I felt in the morning, if I did it, if I did some exercise or ran around at school, I just felt better. I don't know why. I just remember thinking I feel like a bit happier now. I feel calmer. So I've had that in my DNA from such a young age and I've just carried that on as an adult. For me, like, I love exercise because it changes my mindset. I can be really down and stressed. I go for a, a quick walk or I do a treadmill hit or something. Or I do some weights and I I feel like the the stress and the anger and the kind of feelings just dissipate and I, I'm a new person. So that's the message I always try and promote to people that are suffering with their, their mental health. No matter how severe it is, it's just get your body moving because when you move your body, you physiologically can change what's going on in your brain. You know, it's temporary, but you can lift your energy, you can lift your mood for a very short amount of time. And that's really the motivation. So I always say the the action creates motivation. So don't wait to be super motivated and wake up feeling like you're going to take on the world because most days you're not going to feel that. But if you do a little something, you're going to build up your energy, your motivation is going to come and that's what's going to draw you back.
0: Yeah, that's such a mature thing to recognise, I think, for a child, a young child or a teenager. I think that's so mature. My experience was, gosh, we, we could have done with you in the 80s, although you're in 80s, baby as well but um I went the opposite sort of a way I really find I I wasn't active at all and sort of found comfort in losing myself in another world so I'd watch a lot of movies or a lot of television and the way that my mum's mental illness and I lost my dad the, the the timing of that happened at an age that was developmentally I think quite important where I, I, I was maybe going to start going down that sports route or finding my interests, exploring what it was I was interested in. But the way things happened, I sort of retreated and it was comforting to, to, to just be in, a, in my little bubble and, and not explore these things. And that's always something that I look back on and regret. And so it's so fantastic to hear what you're saying. And I think so important for children of parents with mental illness growing up now to know... There was nobody sending that message at the time there has not been anybody sending that message until recently so i think it's so important it's just so refreshing to hear
1: did you find it hard to get into exercise as a teenager and as an adult like, have you found it harder to kind of get into it and love it and feel the connection with it
0: 100 percent. there's absolutely no question that's it's something that has stuck with me and it and it also plays on my mind it's like i know it's a very weird thing to explain. Although maybe you come across people like this all the time, where I know it will make me feel good. It's getting over that that barrier. And the, the, do you know what the ridiculous thing is? My PhD was actually about physical activity. So I was doing—I did a project with um, bowel cancer survivors, and because if they if they take part in more physical activity they're more likely to survive longer and have fewer adverse health outcomes. So I did this whole physical activity consultation intervention with them, motivating them to do more physical activity. And I'm sat here a complete hypocrite because I, don't, I know I don't do what I should be doing. So it's, it's, but I think that that barrier goes way back to when I was a child. I think it's all wrapped up yeah. with the, the stuff with my mum. My so. Well it's so
1: difficult though but it's the biggest challenge that people face is the the motivation to be consistent as well and I always say like when you shift your mindset from being about you know exercising to look good to lose your love handles to lose your bingo wings to like change how you look and weigh and and all these physical body image things to shift that to like being about <clears throat> your mental health and how you're going to feel and your energy, your mood, your sleep, you know, how you interact with your partners, your children, you know, mm-hmm. you become more patient, more understanding. So exercise is so linked to like how we feel. And I think that's what you need to tap into. But like you said, you know, a lot of teenagers turn the opposite way. They go to gaming, they go to food, they go to yeah. alcohol, drink, cigarettes, you know, there's so many different things we can distract ourselves with. You know, there's, there's we're always mm-hmm. as, as humans trying to distract ourselves and like take away negative feelings or certain things we're thinking about and i think sometimes we've got to tackle it head on and i think the best way for me is with exercise and meditation i've recently started to realize the power of actually slowing down because i'm normally 100 miles an hour you know burpees sprinting everything's really (laughs) high energy and physical but actually you can really get to a lovely place by slowing down as well going for a walk meditating for 10 minutes a day like these things are tools that we can all use um any any day of the week
0: yeah, absolutely. My husband's actually, he meditates and he's very active. And I, you know, and I, I should really try and tap into that a lot more. And even just on Saturday, my, I've got two little boys. We walked up a a local hill here, right to the top. They were miles ahead of me. It was quite embarrassing. The youngest is five. He was practically running up. And I felt so good afterwards. So tapping into something as well that, that you enjoy and that can make you even give you the headspace walking up a hill gives you a lot of headspace as well doesn't it
1: yeah one thing I've come to realize really recently during the lockdown as well is that exercise isn't just about like weights and doing high intensity stuff that makes you sweat and gets you out of breath and physically like exhausting I think actually you know being mindful as well like i going for walks you know gardening you know going for going to play like hide and seek in the garden with the kids all these things all these yeah. things are movement and it's play and it's 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 really important not to feel like you have to do a certain type of exercise. I think find what you love and do it daily, like little bits, 20 minutes here, 30 minutes here and there. Like it's gonna, it really change the way you feel. And I think a lot of people put pressure on themselves to join a gym or, you know, do the body coach hit workouts every day. And sometimes you're just not in the mood for it and your body just like wants to do something a little bit less impact and a bit more chilled. So I think really all movement is good for us.
0: Yeah, it's true. And so with all this, you know, how much, how big a part do you think your experience as a child has played in you getting to this point where you are now?
1: I think, I think your childhood affects everything. Your childhood really determines the person you become. And, Mm. you know, I think sometimes it's good to have a little bit of a struggle in life, a bit of adversity, because when you come out of it, like you, I appreciate everything. I appreciate my house, my wife, my kids. Mm. I'm so grateful for the life I've got because I look at my dad and think if I had gone down that path of, you know drug and addiction I wouldn't be who I am I wouldn't I wouldn't have the life I have and I wouldn't have reached and touched so many people's lives with, with my PE with Joe and you know my energy for life and just my passion for exercise and I I think my my love for fitness was such such a powerful thing in my life such a pivotal moment where I got into exercise and joined the gym as opposed to going down a park like a lot of my friends were going down a park and drinking WKD and smoking joints and like graffiti and that was just standard like in, in the early 2000s like that's just what people were doing but yeah I, I was really fearful of doing it I thought if I like it I might be an addict I might have that addictive gene in my in my in my brain and I thought yeah. I just don't want to do it so I think my dad's experience and seeing how destructive heroin and drugs were to him I thought I'm not going down that path so I think yeah. it really steered me in a positive direction mm-hmm. and allowed me to channel my energy into something positive and so yeah like I I, I don't have any regrets. I'm not someone who sits around. I don't think I need to sort of sit through and have loads of therapy and go, oh, why did my mum do this? And why did yeah. my dad treat me like that? Where was he when I was eight years old? And mm-hmm. I just think look, it's what it is. And I, I have a really great relationship with them now. And I think it is important to rebuild and um, work on your relationships. But yeah, like, I love my parents. I love I love what they taught me. I love that I had a struggle because now like I'm so proud of what I've achieved. And my mum and dad, mm-hmm. have, you know, I got an MBE. Like who, gets an, who comes That's out of amazing. a council estate? Yeah, who comes out of a counsellor yeah. in Epsom? And I was a naughty kid, like I was. I was a bit of a naughty kid, like. And I'm super proud of that. So yeah, I think it really helps shape the way. Yeah. I think you've just got to be be a strong character. I think I think instinctively, you've got to have like quite strong decision making because otherwise, pressures come in and you yeah. start to think, oh, I'm going to try that. And you sort of. But, but my mum always used to say to me, Joe, you've got a choice. You don't have to take drugs because your friends do. You don't have to drink because you, yeah. you know you don't have to be out till two or three a.m. You can come yeah. home like so. I always knew that I could make the right decisions and that really helped the person I have become today I think.
0: Yeah I bet your folks are really proud of you as well it's just wonderful it really is.
1: My mum tells me every day I'm not just saying this like every single day of my life she texts me saying she's proud of me like she's I love you proud of you like so proud of the dad you've become because I didn't have a positive role model dad but somewhere along the lines I've I've learned to be a good dad and I love my kids and I'm always learning always trying, trying to do my best and same with Rosie, like I'm, I'm really committed and loyal and faithful to Rosie, and I didn't see yeah. that as a kid. So yeah. she does like saying to me, like I'm really proud of the man you become. And I would say, like Mum, you raised me. Like I've give you, you get the credit. You know, you you're an amazing mum. And for all that the manic chaos we went through, like you were a wonderful mum and you did an amazing job because whatever yeah. you did, work. Look, look who I am today. Look yeah. who we all, me and my brothers, are all really hardworking and and you know we really respect our our, our partners mm-hmm. and stuff. So. Yeah. yeah, you've got to love your mum and dad, haven't you, really? You,
0: that's true, it's true. It's interesting you use the word chaos. This word chaos comes up quite a lot. I think that's a, a good descriptor for children in these situations. Just with regards to you, with the exercise and things, do you think that it was almost a coping mechanism, do you think, when you were younger? And does it remain one now, if so?
1: Uh 100%. Exercise has always been my therapy. Like, it's like the one thing, the constant in my life, even when I was you know, traveling and when I was like backpacking, I was still getting up. Like, I remember like people would just being in bed all day and I'd be like getting up and like running to the beach or like going surfing or doing, always just moving. I had this energy inside and I had to release and a lot of it was probably anxious, nervous, kind of um, aggression and tension as, as a young kid. But as an adult now, I think I can t- determine, really start to feel like pick up on how I'm feeling. And if I'm, if I'm eating junk food, staying up late, drinking gin and tonics and like not exercising, I'm just, I'm not that great to be around. I get grumpy, like food affects my mood. I'm not motivated. I don't want to be doing work. I just want to procrastinate. Like all these things affect me. So I've I've realized when I exercise, you know, when I wake up in the morning and do something, I interact with everyone around me better. So I I treat my family better. I'm more patient with the kids. Mm -hmm. And I just think people forget that they think exercise just affects you and your brain. But truly like when I exercise, it has this wonderful waterfall effect on the people around me because I'm in a good mood. Therefore, I, I I treat Rosie and Indian Marley like with much more patience and time, and I yeah. want to be around them. And I think people forget that. So you, these are the things you have got to remember when you are someone who struggles with motivation. Mm-hmm. Remind yourself like how much better you are when you do a bit of exercise, yeah. when you go out with the kids for a bike ride, or you get some fresh yeah. air. Like when I see little kids like in schools or with my YouTube workouts exercising, and I see their faces light up, yeah. that for me is the ultimate goal. Yeah. I'm now putting all my time and energy into getting children into exercise, to, to see the connection and understand that this is a tool we can use, not just to change the way we look, but to really feel good and to really live a healthy life. And mm-hmm. as a coping mechanism for anything that's going on in your life, exercise is the first yeah. thing you should turn to. It's
0: true. And health behaviour is really established quite young. When people become adults, you're working harder to then change those behaviours because they're more ingrained. If you tap into people when they're children, and encourage them from then and and exercise has such a positive knock-on effect I think on on other health behaviors as well like you were saying eating and and drinking and it, when you stop doing those things and you add the exercise in I can completely relate to what you're saying and it's so great to see how you can get that motivation to to remain in that positive space it's the staying in that space isn't it, it can be it can be tricky. <laughs> yeah. Experience. And I think,
1: I think like I have days where I'm really unmotivated and I just want to eat junk food and sit around and I get stressed and I just want to eat junk food. And that's like, I do it. I mean, I do do that like once every couple of weeks, but I really remind myself straight because I, I literally, I don't have any like guilt or shame around. I love food. I'll eat anything, but
0: mm-hmm.
1: the energy I get, I, I feel so lethargic. I feel bloated. I feel tired, for me it's like they come hand in hand i have to be sleeping well i have mm-hmm. to be eating good food and i have to be exercising because when one sort of falls out of place everything else has a massive knock-on effect and it, it yeah. really starts to bring your vibe down so i think people just have to get into a flow and expect accept that you are going to have days where you feel down and you feel flat and you're not going to want to do anything but don't let a bad day of eating and exercise like be a bad week and become a month Like just accept it acknowledge it and move on and the next day go you know i'm gonna set my alarm set the intention to wake up and and do yeah. something and i think, the days you really do set that intention, say, right, tomorrow morning I'm going to get up and do my exercise. It's non negotiable. I'm going to go for a quick walk or do a little YouTube workout. And it's like it's done, it's done and dusted. And then the rest of the day, you can move forward knowing you've done it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You're inspiring me as we're chatting. <laughs> I'll make better effort again tomorrow. Of... I wanted to go back to something you were saying before about resilience. And also, when you saw some of the things your friends were doing, you were reluctant because you didn't want to go down that same path. Do you feel like you are a more risk-averse person as a result? Because I certainly do feel like risk was not something I wanted to take often.
1: I mean, no, I think I'm quite confident. I quite like feeling uncomfortable. I like (laughs) like that word of, you know, seek discomfort, like do things that challenge you, like don't stay in your lane and stay in your box, like be brave and, you know, that can be showing like vulnerability. It can be like, Mm -hmm being adventurous it could be like traveling it could be seeing the world I think I'm I'm, as a parent I'm really laid back I'm I'm certainly not uptight and anxious and like panicking I I let Marley go on the big swing I get Indy on my electric skateboard like I take him out in the sea I just love I love doing things that are adventurous so for me I'm definitely someone who I didn't I wasn't like a withdrawn child I think I was the opposite I was hyperactive I was in your face I was Mm -hmm really loud I was annoying I was a wind up my mum always calls me a wind up merchant and if she if she like grounded me or took something off me like say she took off my uh, she took my playstation off me I would just constantly nag her until eventually crack and give it to me do you know what I mean so I was I wasn't I wasn't someone who was just shy and sat around in the corner I was really vocal and really quite high energy and I think as an adult yeah I think we are such a product of our childhood and if you're someone who's quite brave and bold and adventurous as a kid, like I was climbing the walls and doing all sorts of things. I think I'll just carry that through to to my adulthood and my my kind of, um, my parenting as well. I just love having fun. I constantly want to do things that are fun. I want to constantly take the kids and do new things they've never done before. So I'm constantly trying to think, how can I um, take them on little adventures and do things with them? So yeah, I think, I think I actually like taking risks in life. I mean, even with like social media stuff, like I went, do you know what? I'm just going to put myself out there and go and do youtube videos and start sharing content and that was a massive yeah. decision because it it led to the body coach and all that stuff yeah
0: absolutely yeah it's interesting it's funny the reason i ask is just because things related to mental health and well-being i think sometimes there there can be a bit of a risk aversion so for me like i i i did go up i was confident for all i i maybe wasn't engaging in certain things i worried about my mum a lot so i wanted to be where i only saw her at weekends and i wanted to uh, I was almost kind of in a carer role. So I didn't want to do anything that would take me away from her. But in terms of, I think, resilience, I think you're absolutely right. It does build resilience. And I think independence and confidence. So I think as a, as an adult, and as, certainly as a teenager, I had to grow up a lot quicker than I otherwise would have done. And I think that has definitely set me well in life. But the risk aversion... It's been things related to, I was quite independent, happy to go traveling and do things like that. Risk aversion didn't exist there, but it did exist in things like not wanting to drink alcohol. You know, I was really worried that it would make me anxious and that would make me, you know, sick or not wanting to put myself in certain situations where I might feel anxious. I think that was something that that really f- sort of had an impact. So when you were saying about, you know, not wanting to do those things. I know your situation was very specific because of your dad's addiction. I just wondered if perhaps that same level of risk aversion has stayed with you.
1: I mean, no, look, I still like to drink and stuff and I, I just, I definitely, I'm I'm someone who can, I can party and socialize, but I can just put it down. I'm not someone who's yeah. got that kind of addictive gene like um, yeah. some people in my family. Like, I mean, because my, my granddad had, my granddad was an alcoholic then my dad was an alcoholic and mm-hmm. I just thought it's going to be, I so my dad was a drug, and I thought, I'm going to be the same but when I did start I mean obviously when I started to have a drink and socialize I thought I can do this and have fun but I can also put it down so I didn't feel concerned really after a while I thought you know I'm I'm okay to kind of do this recreation have a bit of fun and have a drink but I wasn't ever dependent on alcohol or drugs you know so I think for me it didn't really affect me in that way
0: yeah I think so many children worry about there being that that link that genetic link and it's not necessarily the case I think it's such an important message to send just because your parent had a mental illness does not mean that you will have the same thing and you spoke about your mum's trauma so often these things are are activated by previous trauma and you talk about such a lovely childhood despite the situation you were in so it's it's seeing that environment plays such an important part as well and not everybody has the same outcome just because a parent did.
1: Yeah, I, I really wanted to uncover that and investigate that and find out, you know, that, is, that, is that the case that, you know, if if a parent has a mental health issue, does does it always end up with the child having the same issue when they grow up? But it's not the case, I think. And what I've seen is so many amazing stories of people that, like you said, have become young carers and have become really loving and mm-hmm. compassionate and, you know, really wonderful human beings because of the mental health issues their parents face. So I think it really comes down to the individual doesn't it but I don't think you should fear that you know because your mum and dad have anxiety or or they're they're, they're suffering Mm -hmm. with depression that you are guaranteed to experience that I think you might find that you can actually deal with your emotions and come out a bit stronger so I think it's just different for everybody isn't it and I think you've got to be positive and keep doing the things that that help which is you know going to be communication like talking about how you're feeling and I'm someone who's not ashamed to show vulnerability like I I got really upset when we went into lockdown again and I I did an Instagram live and I just got really upset and I cried in front of thousands of people and I thought, why am I crying? But I thought this is a good thing just to show that it's okay to be upset. It's okay Absolutely. to be a man and be vulnerable. And And I think so many people messaged me that day saying, you know, thank you for sharing that because I've been really struggling myself and I'm trying to be this really like strong, stable father, but I'm upset. I'm scared of losing my job and I don't want to tell my wife because going to upset her. And so I think mm-hmm. people just don't want to give their emotions and put their their burden on someone else but really it shares the burden it shares the load and you feel that like you can actually communicate and you can you can really work on things so I think the number one thing as we always say is just talk keep talking talk to people that you love people will listen to you and people yes. will support you
0: absolutely absolutely and that, and the kids that don't feel they can talk hopefully will feel more so again now that they can you know that they there just needs to be a community around this for children I think and it's okay to talk about mental health your own and your parents, you know, if 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 you're in that situation. And as a dad now, do you, how, how old are your kids?
1: Indy's just turned three and Marley is 18 months old.
0: So a bit young for the mental health chat maybe, but will you talk to them about mental health?
1: I always say to Indy, she, I love this response she gives me because I've taught her to say, what, what, because I used to say, why does daddy exercise? And And she says, mm. because it makes us happy. And so I'm just teaching her that exercise is something I do to feel good, to smile, to laugh, right. we giggle, we play, you know, we we hang on the pull-up bar together, and we like challenge each other and stuff. So she can see the link. She can see that when daddy exercises, he's smiling, he's having fun. I'm I'm programming her to realize that this is something we do as a family. This is something that's fun and she was obviously there for all the pee with Joe Worker. So she would yeah. run into the living room with Marley and they would like be dressed up and you know they they had fun. So I'm making fitness and exercise a common thing in the house. So that really is my way of showing, look, this is what we do to help ourselves feel happy. This is about mental health and same with the food. I say, right, we're gonna put this into our porridge. We're gonna add some nuts and berries because these are really good um, sources Mm. of fats and and, and, and vitamins and, and, you know, um, like fiber. So she's learning little thing, little nuggets of information, but I haven't sat down and proper given her like the heavy mental health (laughs) conversation, but I like to think that just my life and how I live my life and how I interact with her and how I show, vulnerability and how I communicate that she will learn through my experience so I don't need to really sit down and sort of describe anxiety and depression yet but I did visit a primary school in London that's I've started talking um started sharing like amazing you know doing classes specifically on mental health and parental mental health to describe how parents might be feeling with like a little gray cloud over their head and it's just a really lovely um really lovely way of like getting children thinking about that.
0: That's a really good idea, because sometimes I think there is chat about you know how to how to recognize your own mental health, but that's a really important point to talk to kids about how their parents might be feeling or their carers. That's a really, really good idea actually
1: yeah, I think um, it should be like something that's taught in schools you know just like I think school children should be taught about exercise and, and and nutrition and also social media and dealing with the pressure that comes with that, but I think every child should be given the chance to learn about mental health and what mm. it means to communicate. It should be something that's like really encouraged because I think the more sensitive and emotional and uh, empathetic our children can be, I think the happier they're gonna live because they're gonna really interact with each other differently, but also learn to love themselves and deal with their own feelings yeah. and have better emotional regulation from a younger age.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And even the P with Joe, cause you know, we did it with our kids. They see you, the parents engaging as well. So they, they're, and if that conversation's happening alongside, things like family activity and family exercise, then they're, they're making that connection and they're making it as a family. And it's the recognition that mental health is, everyone has it. It's not, you know, your mom and dad have it as well. They're human and sometimes they might not be feeling top notch and that's okay. And it's okay to talk about it. You know, it's- Yeah, it's,
1: I'm glad it's, you enjoyed it. Well, that's the thing. I, if you remember, I real. talked about a character called Captain Serotonin. So I described yeah. like <laughs> yeah. I always used to say like, you might be feeling a little bit, Stress now, you might be feeling a bit flat and low, but by the time we come for this workout at the end of it, you're gonna feel this catching serotonin. So that again, yeah. is just like a little way of describing something kind of visual that kids can go, oh, I feel better now. I've got this serotonin in my brain. Like, where's yeah. that come from? It's come from the exercise. So I'm always promoting the message around mental health for, for toddlers, for kids, for everyone. I just don't use certain words. I just describe it in a fun kind of visual way. Yeah. And that that's what I'm talking about, the DNA, like get that into a child's DNA that when you're, when you're young and you do some exercise, you feel just as good as when you're an adult. Like it's it's something mm-hmm. you can always use as a tool to change how you feel.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, we certainly, we absolutely loved it. And it changed, and I'm sure across the country and around the world. I mean, gosh, people were doing it everywhere. It changed the whole structure of our day in such a positive way. And certainly my husband, and he ended up, oh, he's so good. He ended up getting up at five to, before we did to do his activities and all. You know, so I think it really... And that collective element as well knowing that everybody was doing it i think had such a a really important role to play you know so uh yeah it was just brilliant so thank you for that just as an aside um and with regards to your mum and dad when you're two or older do you think you will tell them about their grandparents mental health
1: yeah i definitely think i will yeah i think it's not not something i'm um i'm ashamed of i think when they're old enough, I can, Mm -hmm. you know, describe what my my childhood was like and kind of, you know, let them know because I wasn't born into this life, you know, I really worked really hard and I want my kids to appreciate and understand, you know, where I've come from and how hard I've worked and I want them to really value and appreciate what the life we live because, you know, I've worked so hard and we've got a wonderful house and I've got a nice safe environment but as a kid, for me, I grew up in a council flat that was tiny, you know, you didn't have space, it was like you were just living on top of each other and squished in between other people and, it was like a different life. So yeah, I think I'll definitely share that experience and, and won't be ashamed or embarrassed. And my mum and dad will be fine with that as well. Yeah. Because um, so I think it's just a nice thing to understand the history of your family as well. And you know, what you've been through and why you're all here today and the people you are.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I absolutely is. It's a difficult one to My eldest is eight and he asks about Gran. She passed away in February sadly. He he's very aware that, that that Gran had mental health problems, and our mental illness. I, it's so hard. The, the the language around it and the appropriate language use is a whole other a whole other field. Actually articulating it. It was a psyche, It was a she had psychosis and you know schizoaffective disorder. So she had highs and lows and hallucinations and all sorts. And to to have that conversation with an eight year old can be quite tricky, you know and he, he worries that that might happen to him. So if that happened to Gran, is that going to happen to me? And so it's balancing that conversation. And if parents were equipped to have those conversations with their children, which is, I think is what our time are aiming to do with the kids time workshops, then that's such a huge step forward and would make such a difference. I think to children, just starting the conversation and knowing how to have it in a and age each appropriate way, I don't know if I'm doing a very good job.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I I was really moved by that that class that I went to, you know, the the, the kids' time session because that's what I realised. There was sort of a seven-year-old boy there and then there was sort of a 14-year-old girl There it was really young and they were all interacting and doing an activity together and using their own kind of vocabulary and their own experience. And they, were, they weren't describing their mum and dad. They were just describing like a mum and dad or a family. And that way of detaching yourself from it in a sort of third person, like that was a good way of... um getting them to talk and by the end of it, i saw that their, their, they were really kind of it. and by the end of it they were like dancing and singing and it was really they were like acting they did little like screen they did little kind of role play things and i thought it is yeah. a great way of of getting your children communicating and i think like you said it's got to be age appropriate but you'll just know when the time's right you'll feel like the time is right and yeah. every time you unlayer you, you unravel a layer of your story i think your children will just be a little bit more knowledgeable a little bit wiser and I can't ever see it being a bad thing. I can only see it as a positive thing because it's this, they're going to understand you better and they're going to feel safer and they're going to be able to see when you're down and understand why you're having a bit of a low day. And what does that yeah. mean? Like, oh, it's nothing to do with me, but tomorrow, you know, she'll get a good night's sleep and maybe tomorrow morning she'll be in a more positive yeah. space and we can do something together. So I think it's really, really good for children to understand what their parents are going through as opposed to like hiding it and them yeah. hearing conversations. You say, I used to... I mean, this is back in the day before mobile phones. But my mum used to be on the phone, and I could hear her talking with my dad, and you know, you could hear everything and the arguments. So it was like you, you all, I always knew what was going, on and they just didn't tell me. Yeah. I understood everything. I knew so much, but they just didn't say. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't. Let, they wouldn't say it to your face. And so yeah. you were constantly sort of walking around, pretending you didn't hear stuff, and walking on eggshells. And yeah. as a kid, I think all you really want is just like stability and consistency. You want to just know what's going on and understand yeah. why. And yeah. so I think the quickest way to that is just to be communicating with with your family or children and really like opening up that conversation.
0: Absolutely because children's imaginations this has come up before. Children's imaginations can run away with them. So if you're not if they're getting some insight as you did into there being something, you know, that's going on but they're not having the conversation, you're left to imagine yourself what's happening and and then if you're then feeling like you can't talk about it, as you said, you didn't want to, you can see, you found, you found exercise, which is amazing, but you can see how some children might then become overwhelmed and, and not cope. That's when we've got problems. That's when, you know, that's why I think children of parents with mental illness are more likely to go on, not because the parents had mental illness, but because the communication around it needs to be improved. Which is why it's yeah, so amazing definitely. that you came here today. I mean, honestly, Joe, thank you so much. It's, it's just so important, and and having you talk about your experience will be so helpful to so many people.
1: Well, listen, I've really enjoyed the conversation. I, I'm, I'm really, I'm really glad that I got to meet our time and the work they're doing because it, it's really uplifting. I was really feeling like the documentary was starting to feel really heavy and really kind of. Like down, but when I went there, I felt like it was a really positive step and an amazing initiative. That if if it if it gets rolled out and and more people get access to it, it's gonna it's gonna save a lot of lives and it's gonna yeah. transform a lot of children's lives as well and, because they're gonna go on to become parents one day. They're gonna become on gonna be adults and I just I just love the mission of, of of that charity and I think um it's wonderful. So I'm now really gonna do everything I can to you know use my channels and my platforms to keep spreading the message. And this documentary yeah. I'm doing with with bbc one is is hopefully going to continue that conversation shine a light Absolutely. on the, the amazing work that our time are doing so thank yeah. you so much keep doing your amazing work and um oh, i wish you all too. the best of luck
0: oh thank you so much you too joe can't wait to see the documentary and hear more about your story i'm really looking forward to it thank you
1: thank you so much pamela
0: joe wicks the body coach i hope you enjoyed hearing from joe look out for his bbc tv documentary exploring these issues further when it comes out soon My Family, Mental Illness and Me is a podcast from Our Time with support from the Mental Health Foundation. Visit ourtime.org.uk for support and resources for children and families affected by parental mental illness. You can follow them on social media at Our Time Charity and we've also put lots more links and places to find information and support in the show notes. Also, if you feel like you're struggling with mental health or you've been affected by anything in this episode, it's really important you speak to someone. There are links to help in the show notes, but also you can contact your GP, the Samaritans, on 116 123 or Childline 0800 1111. Thank you so much for being with us today. Subscribe to our feed so you get future episodes automatically downloaded. And if you know someone who'd benefit from hearing these stories we're sharing, please let them know we're here. That's really important. We really want people to know that they're not alone. This is a Bespoken Media production with music and sound design by Joel Cox. See you next time.